We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome back to The Pod is the Roof, the official UNC basketball podcast of the Field of 68. I'm your host, Riley Davis, joined as always by my co-host, Jacob Karabatsis, a.k.a. JK, and we are talking about UNC laying a bit of an egg, uh, to put it nicely, losing to Clemson at home, 80-76. to 76. Pretty disheartening. We'll start there, but JK, is there, is there anything you want to get off your chest in, ter- in regards to this game? Um... A lot, man. Like, we talked about this from the very first episode of this podcast on the season preview, is that I will take no issue with the loss in which a team is either hitting absurd shots, circus shots, in which a team is just running their offense to perfection and just absolutely annihilating your defense, and you're trying, and you just can't figure it out. If you lose a game like that, that's just basketball. But what happened to UNC last night was not just basketball. They got out-toughed. They got out-battled. They got out-physicaled in every sense of the word. I mean, you can look at the stat sheet, and yeah, oh, Joe Girard had 21 and shot 50% from three on 10 attempts. Yeah, he hit big shots. But that's not the ultimate reason UNC lost. They lost because P.J. Hall and Ian Shefflin walked into their building and abused them in every way, shape, and form. On the glass, on the defensive glass, on the offensive glass, getting to loose balls. It was an embarrassment, man. And I understand like a little a little Duke hangover, but you cannot come out and let a team set the tone and get up 17 to four. I mean, it's it's yeah. really that simple. And as soon as it got to 17 to four, like they chipped away, they chipped away. They finally got it square at like 70 a piece or something like that. And as soon as it, as soon as it got to 70 a piece, all the things I just talked about happened. Offensive rebounds, putbacks, second chance points, getting to loose balls, force and turn, like, all those things happened down the stretch of the game. It, it just, you know, it was an embarrassing loss, and it wasn't embarrassing necessarily because Clemson's like an awful team. They're not. I mean, they kept harping on this on the broadcast that 
Clemson's last, I want to say, six losses are by a combined extremely low score. I don't remember the exact score, but they. It was their last losing. three. Their last three losses have been a, by a combined combined five points. They That's lost by one is. to Virginia, lost by one to Duke, and I guess lost by three to Georgia Tech. So. Just, you know, this team's tough. They're scrappy, but, like, that's kind of been UNC's MO this year, man. Tough, scrappy, physical defense, out-rebound. You don't give up second-chance points, just like we saw against Duke on Saturday. And they came out, and they just simply were not ready in this game. And it, it was embarrassing, man. Yeah, it's weird. I Like, to some degree, maybe you attribute the turnover, to, or excuse me, the hangover to the slow start. But at the same time... I don't think it was necessarily bad effort. It was just bad execution. <laughs> like uh, PJ Hall's second three of the game was off a little pick and pop um, and seemed like a breakdown of the ball screen defense. I think it was Cadeau and Ingram on the play. Ingram was a little bit late on the closeout. Hall saw his second three go through and it was sort of, he was on one for the rest of the night with Gerard. I mean, he got the better of Cadeau on a couple of possessions. I think it was the first three he made. He, sort of faked like he was going left, caught Cadeau on skates, was able to, like, Cadeau did a decent enough job to recover and try to contest it, but Gerard switched it, and that set the tone for him for the rest of the game. Um, and I think you're spot on with the offensive rebounds where Carolina would play good defense for 20, 25 seconds, um, maybe even the full, like, full extent of the shot clock, but Clemson would miss a shot and get an offensive rebound, and it felt like, every offensive rebound they got resulted in second chance points. Um, and that's why when you look at like the, the stat sheet, Clemson shot below 40% from the game, but it didn't really matter. They still averaged over a point per possession. I think they were at 1.1. 1. 1. Uh, Carolina was either right at one per one point per possession a game or under that. And yeah, it's, it's, you know, in the grand scheme of things, it's not, I wouldn't say it's a huge concern. I still think this Carolina team is really good. It's just frustrating to, to feel like, um, I mean, they they have the potential. We have seen it on display to be in that UConn tier, to be in that Purdue tier of national title favorites. I mean, they're ranked third in the country for a reason. But you're not. I mean, we saw like UConn didn't lose at home to Butler last night, and I think Clemson's probably better than Butler. But that's a, a, a like those teams aren't losing to bubble teams at home in their own conference. On the road is one thing, but to drop that game at home as a, from a fan's perspective was just so frustrating. And um, it, it yeah. just felt like something that a Carolina team of the past two or three years would have done and not this unit that has largely been consistent. That's largely been businesslike in its approach. Um, even when, K when, when Harrison Ingram hit the three to tie it at 70, my thought was like, UNC is going to win this because that's what we've seen them do this whole season. They hit big shots in timely moments. They get stops when they need to. Um, but throughout the second half, up until that Ingram tie, that tying three, they'd cut the lead to anywhere from two to three points. Clemson would come down to the other end, maybe miss their first shot, but they'd score on an offensive rebound. Or maybe we play pretty good defense for most of the shot clock, then they get a late shot clock bucket that resulted in an and one or a foul call. Like they just made backbreaking plays every time UNC cut it close. And for that to happen in your home building, that is the most frustrating part. Like UNC, if UNC, like, UNC wants to get a one seed. Fans want to see us get a one seed. They they were projected as a one seed for really the past couple of weeks until uh, until today. And if you want a one seed, you got a low margin for error in the ACC. Like blame it on the narrative, blame it on the metrics, blame it on freaking 
Jeff Cable and Kevin Keats and Kenny Payne and who else am I forgetting? Probably some other mid coaches who still have jobs. <laughs> like, but you can't you can't blow games like this. Yeah, it's that's what makes it so frustrating. First off, you know you do have to give credit to Clemson because yeah, there was there was issues with being out physical and out tough. Like, but Clemson responded to every single run that that Carolina had. I mean, every time Carolina got close. Clemson made a big play. You know, the ones that stand out, P.J. Hall's offensive rebound bucket that I think put them back up five. And then mm-hmm. once we got it to three again, Joe Girard hit like a 30-footer. And that's just, you know, that's what happens when you kind of mess around the whole game. And then people that, you know, either didn't watch the whole game or don't understand look at it and say, well, they hit some BS shots down the stretch. But no, like BS shots happen. That's basketball. It's tough shot making. What happens is you play that bad for that long, allow a team to stay in it, and then those BS shots pile on. And that's it, it is upsetting because they the the win on Saturday basically put them in a control your own destiny situation. You're up two games in the ACC. You are in the driver's seat. You are in the driver's seat for a one seed. Now you've put yourself in a situation where you're still in the driver's seat, but your margin for error is cut in half. And that just sucks, man, because now you're looking at it like they've got eight games left. They still have to go to Miami on Saturday. Yes, Miami's been bad. Yes, they just scored 38 points against Virginia, but you're still going on the road and you're playing against guards who have proven they can score. Then you go to Syracuse. You know, playing at Syracuse has never been an easy task. Then you're back home for Tech. And then you get the absolute nightmare game that Riley and I have been talking about all year, which is at Virginia, a place that UNC has struggled to win. So now, if you do want a one seed, at worst, they need to finish six and two, basically. And that's with games at Virginia, at Duke, at Miami, at Syracuse. Like, it's not going to be an easy task, man. And, you know, they go six and two, they're 24 and seven on the year. You go in, you, you make it to the ACC championship at least, and you're like 27 and seven. Even if you lose, you're 27 and eight. Yeah, then you probably still get a one seed, but they just made it 10 times more difficult on themselves. And that's what makes it so annoying because this this is just not like this is not a game you can afford to lose. It, it, had they won this game and then went and lost at Miami, it'd be a little more acceptable because at least you lost on the road. But it, yeah. it's it's just bad to let Clemson come in to the Dean Dome and do what they did last night. It's just a really, really bad look, man. And I, this is where the PTSD starts to kick in and you're like, please – Please do not let this become uh, like how how it has in the past with the snowball effect. Because I think the Duke win is masking the fact that like that is losing two out of their last three. So I mean, it, it's starting it's starting to get a little worrisome, man. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say I'm like that. Uh, I still want to say I'm necessarily panicked. There's I think the fan in me, and like you said, the PTSD. There is some fear of the implosion um like but again i think that's sort of how your mind works when you're a fan of a team like unless you're unless you were a a 
Brady era Patriots fan, which I know you were JK, like you sort of expect that with most teams, even that's teams counterbalanced that by being a fan of this team right here, because they implode in the playoffs every single year. Right. Like that's what we do as fans is we worry about that. Now from a more objective analysis perspective, you know, I wouldn't say there's a ton to worry about with this UNC team other than, you know, the Seth Trimble injury, the uncertainty around that. It, it sort of exposed how shallow UNC gets when you take away at six man. Yeah. Um, I think some of the rotations, some of the lineups we saw yesterday would be cool to never see them again. Um, like the, I think the Cadeau, Wojcik, Ingram, Withers, Washington lineup, like at this point in the season, I don't, I don't think UNC should play lineups without one of Armando or RJ. You just got to, I will give Wojcik, he played oh, decent. He had a decent for sure. game. For sure. But I think, yeah, Wojcik played great in his role. Um, made a three, got some big rebounds didn't get exposed on defense. Um, yeah, played about as well as you could expect from in his 22 minutes. But I just I just think if you're going to run out of a lineup of with no RJ and no Cormac next to Cadeau, you at least want to have that stabilizing force of Armando down low, um, especially defensively. Like I, UNC, I, yesterday its defense fell off a cliff without Armando. And, you know, I know Armando was probably late on a couple of those closeouts on PJ Hall on some of those pick and pops that he hit. But it's because he's trying to clean up mistakes. Um, if a, if the guard got into the paint off of ball screens, like he's he's trying to do a lot. Uh, more often than not, UNC has been able to succeed with the way they defend ball screens in conference play. Like they won ten games for a reason. They held teams to under thirty percent from three during that stretch for a reason. And I don't think that was all luck. Um, I do believe we're seeing a, a few more lapses in the ball screen defense. Um, but you know, that's going to happen in basketball. You're not going to play it perfectly. What, what kills again, I, I mentioned is just, and you mentioned it, is the offensive rebounds and the easy buckets off of that where, um, yeah, that's where I thought we saw some of the shortcomings of Jalen Washington. It was a pretty quiet Harrison Ingram game as far as his work on the glass goes. Uh, personally, I would have liked to see Jalen Withers more yesterday I think he matches up with Ian Shefflin better than Jalen Washington, maybe even Zayden High. I thought Zayden High was fine in the minutes he got as well. Um, I just don't know. Like, It's so weird with Washington because there are times where he looks stronger and more physical around the basket. He's had some really nice blocks. He's shown the ability to get a rebound in traffic. Um, but yesterday, I mean, we saw it in the final four minutes. You know, Carolina ties the game at 70. And, well, first off down the floor – RJ Davis makes a bad pass to Armando to take that. It was like, uh, he had passed the ball a little bit higher. Armando probably hits the bucket, maybe gets an M one at the very least probably gets fouled. Carolina has a chance to take the lead next possession down. You had our, uh, I want to say Clemson was up 72 70. Armando has a perfect pass out of a double team to RJ for a step in three that he's hit. What feels like 95% of the time this year rims out. And that was sort of the game Um, turnovers. And then Jalen Washington, where he he sort of got exposed defensively, giving up a couple and ones to Shefflin and maybe one was the hall. I can't exactly remember, Um, but that's where I would have liked to see, you know, throw some, throw some, throw another forward out there put Ingram against Shefflin and put either Cormac or Wojcik or Cadeau, any number of those in the game, try a different lineup because the Washington Baycott minutes just weren't working. Yeah, it's, you know, that's the positive, I guess, of this game is Mondo continued 
his momentum from the Duke game, and that's going to be key. And like, yeah, when I say I'm worried, like I don't, I don't want fans to misconstrue that as oh, mm. the sky is falling. We're going right. to finish three and five. It's really just I want a one seed, and I think we all do. Like, you want to host the tournament site. You you want you want to be able to control that, and that that's where the worry comes in. They're a hundred percent going to be a top three seed regardless. I trust this team to win, you know, like four out of the next five or four in a row, whatever it's going to be. I think I think they're going to get going. I think this is going to be a wake-up call, especially with some of the post-game comments, which we will get into. You could tell Mondo and them did not take it lightly. But, yeah, I mean, I guess that'd be a positive. Um, RJ did not have a good shooting night. He did from three. But, I mean, to go two of ten – on two point field goals is, is not ideal. And that floater that has been cash for him all year long simply was not falling. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it, to put this into NBA terms, it, it felt like watching one of those Trey young games where he kind of just can't hit a shot. The floater's not going, he hits a couple big threes, but, it, but that was tough. I mean, we do have to talk about this though, man. And, you know, I want to preface this by saying, I'm not, I'm not hating. You know, he's one of our own. I want to see him succeed. It's more or less like, bro, we are, this team is not going anywhere if Cormac Ryan shoots 1 of 10 and 0 of 6. And, yeah. you know, I don't expect Cormac to be perfect every game, but I'm just looking at it and I'm like, man, look, you have probably the easiest role in this offense. The focal points are Armando and RJ and Elliott getting downhill and even Ingram you're probably the fifth focal point of of the defense when you're out there with the starters. You're getting open looks most of the time. He does have to take some tough looks late in the shot clock and stuff, but you're getting open looks most of the time. I just need you to go two of six. Like, <laughs> right. Shoot that's your role. <laughs> it's not like we're putting pressure on you to score 15. It's not like you need to go crazy. But, I mean, at some point, you know, the open shots have to start going in, and they will. You know, against Miami, he'll be great. Because like I said, that's the Jekyll and Hyde, the ebb and flow of Cormac Ryan, is that when he plays really bad, he follows it up with a decent performance. But we need solidarity, man. Like, that's that's what we need. And Cormac does great things on the defensive end. He tries his ass off, like – he always gives maximum hustle, maximum mm-hmm. effort. He's a seen like he's a veteran leader. He's my age. I mean, he he's got the experience. <laughs> he's a veteran leader. Um, you know, I the shots got to start falling though, man, and that's that's the tough part of it. You know, it's he is he is in no way, shape, or form the reason that UNC lost this game. But if he does hit some of those open looks early, it softens the blow a mm-hmm. lot. And you're looking at a completely different game down the stretch. Um, so, sure. man, I just I want to see Cormac do good things, man. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. As you guys know by now, we've partnered with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for the listeners and the viewers of the Field of 68 each and every week of the college basketball season. We have a special offer that will be available starting on Tuesday, January 9th, and running through Monday, February 12th, the morning after Super Bowl 58. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, in honor of the big game, you can use the bonus code FIELD158 and you'll get $158 in free bets on your first wager with BetMGM, regardless of whether or not you win that first bet. Here's how you make it work. Download the BetMGM app. Sign up using the bonus code FIELD158. Deposit at least $5 and place your first wager on any game. You'll receive $158 in bonus bets regardless of the outcome of your bet. Just make sure that you use that bonus code FIELD158 when you sign up. And remember, BetMGM is now available under one wallet in select states. As a New Jersey resident, this is super convenient when I have to go cover games in New York or Philly, which happens quite a bit. When you cross state borders, you just log into your existing account and fire away. You don't have to create separate accounts in each state. It's easy, it's simple, it's clean. And most importantly, we have some fun stuff coming up for the heart of the college basketball season. Bet insurance tokens, college hoops, odd boosts, and my favorite, a nice juicy parlay boost. So download the BetMGM app and sign up today. Field 158. Yeah, I'm with you. And, I, you know, I don't think a loss like that you pin on one player. Um like I mentioned, Jalen Washington had some rough minutes. Cadeau struggled some on defense. RJ missed his floaters. Really, the only one I've, I'm like, Mondo played darn near close to perfect. Mondo was uh, great. Yeah, Mondo was great. Ingram, I would have liked to see. I don't even, I, I mean, you know, part of it's probably on Ingram, part, part of it's probably on the staff to get him some more looks. But at a game like that, especially coming off that Duke game, you want to see more than seven shots. And I know he had the cramps and everything, but I mean, he shot three or five from three, hit the, uh, had the, UNC's first bucket of the game down low 
And I just thought, I mean, you could have found some ways to get him on mismatches with Shefflin if Shefflin was guarding him. Uh, but anyway, with yeah, with Cormac, I think that might be like my biggest concern. As I said, I'm not super worried about this team in general, aside from the yeah, the fan worry of an implosion. Um, but yeah, the fact that it's it's February 7th when we're recording this and Cormac is a 30% three-point shooter and, you know, you would ideally he would be comfortable in his role right now. Ideally he would be in a bit of a rhythm and that just hasn't happened. And I know he's had a couple games where he's made three or four threes, which have been great. He has had good games. He's contributed to winning. Um, it's just weird when it seems like it, it, Again, I am by no means a, sh- a shot doctor. I think I said that on the last pod, but it, anecdotally speaking, it looks like when he takes a second to get himself set and doesn't rush a shot, it's pretty money. But so often, whether it's a catch-and-shoot three um, where he's spotting up or one where he's getting that little elevator screen and, and shooting on the move, it seems like it's so quick and so rushed and it just rims out a lot. Um, yeah, and a lot of times when he's getting these threes, it seems like he has time to make sure he's set and to not have to rush it. Like a couple of the threes he had against Clemson, there weren't really any, there was not really a good closeout on him. Uh, Cause Clemson's Clemson's not a great defensive team and their attention was elsewhere. And yeah, I mean, again, you look at a two for six night as opposed to an over six night and maybe you know, you never know what sort of sliding door effects that's going to happen. Maybe we're here sitting like, dang, Clemson gave it, gave us their all, but they Clemson down the stretch and blew a lead in Carolina. You know, Carolina got it done <laughs> and move on from this, learn from this uh, bad win even, but you take it. Yeah, I think that's the postseason key, in my opinion, at this point. Like, Ingram's wrist looks healthy. I'm not worried about his shooting anymore. And I wasn't ever worried about it. You could just tell he was injured. You could tell the follow through didn't look right. Like there was hesitancy there. It looks back to normal. So I'm not worried about that. But I think to make a true deep postseason run, we know what RJ is going to do. We know what Mondo is going to do. We kind of know what Ingram's going to do. We know what Cadeau offers. I really think Cormac needs to shoot 35%. From th- from three, like that's not asking a lot. I mean, that's like mm-hmm. what he shoots for his career uh, before this year. So I mean, that's all I want to see, man. Just thirty five percent. Hopefully, you know, he does do what he typically does and has a big bounce back against Miami. And I still like love Cormac. I love when he's on the court. That's not me hating on him at all. I just you know, he's he's important for this team. I mean, he he really is and. I think last night also showed how important Seth Trimble is for this team from a defensive standpoint, from a energy standpoint, like he provided a lot of energy in the Duke game. He would have provided a lot of energy in this game, you know, mm-hmm. but you got to move on. Um, Hopefully he'll be back for the game on Saturday. Um, yeah. But it's, it was a tough one, man. You just hate to get, I mean, you almost, for lack of a better word, you hate to get bullied, especially on your home floor, but that's mm-hmm. pretty much what happened. I mean, all I saw was Shefflin and PJ Hall flexing like for half the game, which was super <laughs> irritating. I know, man. But you know, it's, it's just so weird that in between uh, the Duke game where UNC could not miss at the rim, like think about that Cormac Ryan transition layup where he finished through contact from Tyrese Proctor or Seth Trimble made pretty much every shot he took at the rim. Um, 
I mean, obviously Armando played great. And sandwiched in between that game is Georgia Tech and Clemson, where UNC couldn't buy a layup from anybody. It's a, a whole team issue there. Um, I swear the switch, um, and this is going to sound crazy, UNC wins that game if Cadeau hits that lay on the crossover. I swear they do. The one that he, like, bricked terribly? Completely bricked. And I think – That was such a sick move. And it's I, I couldn't believe him. And, you know, Cormac blew a layup too where he just got by his guy in the first half then it rimmed out. Like, I just I, – I, I don't get it. Again, I've never played basketball at a high level. <laughs> it's I've just never, – I've never been a D1 basketball player, but – that is just I don't know how they rimmed out or like what you know what you put yourself in that, in that position like missing shots is one thing but it ultimately goes back to what we talk about you know like offensive rebounds and second chance points are the biggest momentum killers in the world like you, you cannot come back if you're not if you're not on the defensive glass and man. There were just so many times that th- th- there were some inexcusable ones too. Like the one where as good as Armando played, what keeps me from saying he played a perfect game was the one where they showed the replay. He literally did not even remotely box out. And then yeah, there was just confusion, man. Like one of the Shefflin and ones, Ingram was completely turned around. Didn't yeah, know where the ball was. was. It, it was mm-hmm. weird. They just looked out of it. I think they'll bounce back, though, man. I still think they're a really good team. I just, I really, really, really want to see like a seven and one or a six and two finish because I do want that one seed, man. Mm-hmm. I do yeah, want six that and, one seed. I, I think a six and two finish would still probably get Carolina at a two seed. I think they got to go seven and one or eight and zero. Oh. What if um, it's what if it's six and two and they win the ACC tournament? I just don't think the committee really pays attention to the ACC tournament or the like they don't pay attention to conference tournament. I think it's lazy. Yeah. <laughs> it's either I want the SEC championship always ends on selection Sunday and they're like, oh, whatever. If you win it, we don't care. You're still going to be like Auburn won it the year they went to the final four. They won the SEC championship and dominated Tennessee in the finals. And they're still like, cool, you're still a five seed. And granted, they still made the final four and packed up Carolina along the way. Um, Chuma Okiki, the legend. Yeah, gosh, oh my goodness, I don't want to think about the Chuma Okiki legacy game. That was so painful. That loss stuck with me for just like a week. I loved that 2019 team so much. I think seven and one does it though, because seven yeah. and one gets you a couple really quality wins, probably. Um, and and you finish 25 and six. No matter what happens in the ACC tournament, you're a one. Yeah, I mean, I mean if you if you win at Virginia. You went at Miami, at Virginia, at Duke. I think Carolina's a one seed. That's okay, three, so quad, what if three quad one wins. What if it's six and two, but th- they win those three games, but then they drop to like Q's and then Miami the second time they play them or something like that? If that That's, happens, I'm gonna be so I, yeah. I'm gonna be so pissed off. Like the fact if like if if Carolina can beat Miami and Virginia on the road and then lose at Syracuse, it's like. Dude, what are we doing here? But, Dude, the Virginia uh, game, man, it's going to be interesting because typically the reason Virginia, we can't beat them is because Tony Bennett, you know, super slow defense and we play super fast offense. We still play super fast, but now we have the ability to defend and slow the game down. So mm-hmm. I almost think that's a completely different matchup this year, but we'll save that for Virginia week. I'm just, right, you know, that, yeah. it's, it's going to be interesting. 
I dang, how does Virginia have the same record as UNC right now? I get their 50th on Kim Palm, UNC is eighth, so like records can be deceiving, but yeah, how they've turned this season around is pretty oh, spectacular. Dude. And they still can't score. They still know, can't score. That's where I still feel good about that game. Like if you go if this Carolina team goes up seven or eight points on Virginia, it's curtains. Dude, it's they've won fifty nine to fifty three and sixty to thirty eight and and sixty six to sixty five. They're gonna have to score seventy plus to beat UNC. They have to. I don't think they can. I think, yeah. Honestly, I think UNC wins at Maybe we don't need to get into previews yet, but I think UNC wins at Miami. I think they win at Syracuse. I think they went home for Virginia Tech, and I think they win at Virginia. And that's what I'm saying, win. man. I think there's a strong chance they finish 5-0 this month. Yeah. I, and then we're I, looking I, at two pretty cupcakey home games before Duke. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, you know, and let's not – let's just call it what it is, too. Like, the win over Virginia is the important one. Because I'm telling you, Duke's going to lose at least one more game. That for, It feels like Duke loses to State at PNC every year. Yeah, they do. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know, but I do. Let's you know. I'll let you. I'll let you transition here. I do want to. Talk yeah, about I was going to say comments after the game because. Yeah. yeah the the comments about you know having a bad practice on Monday, being late to warm ups Tuesday, is that something that you read and you're like, Oh shoot, this is, this could really unravel. Or is it just like, we're dealing with college kids who make dumb mistakes. Um, with the case of this team, I think college kids that make dumb mistakes, I think they beat Duke. They went out to Franklin street. They, I mean, let's just call it what it is. They probably all got hammered and celebrated. Like, you know, had a really good night. Weren't thinking too much about it. Um, I I trust the leadership of this team. I trust, Armando when he's a fifth year senior I trust mm-hmm. RJ like even a guy like Cormac albeit it's his first year at UNC he's 25 he's a leader like mm-hmm. I trust the leadership of this team now I think if you were in a situation like a Kentucky or a Duke where you have a lot of young guys and this happens yeah. then you've got another issue on your hands but Armando called that shit out immediately in the post game presser and he was like we have to be better we have to be more prepared He's not going to let it slide because him and RJ were there for the pain and agony of last year. They're not going through that again. So I'm not too worried about it, but I'll just say it was more of a shock for me because I don't expect like the way this team has played all year, really up until last night. That's not the type of report you expect to see about this team. You think they'd be the type that are there early, that are locked in, that are, you know, ready. And that, that part was shocking. But, you know, I, I don't think it's going to spiral. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. And I don't think this is us just being sunshine pumpers. I'm going to get ahead of any allegations like that. I think we'll be pretty honest here. But um, I don't know. It's just tough to overlook what they did in the month of, like, from mid-December to the end of January of winning 10 games in a row and a lot of those coming on the road. And, you know, you can poke holes in some of the competition, but – yeah, that, I kept coming back to that word business-like, and that's what my my Heat Check cohort, Brian Ralph, who, um, yeah, writer and podcaster for Heat Check, um, that was a word he would always tweet out when UNC was beating Oklahoma, when it was winning at Pitt, when it was winning at State and Clemson, was business-like, and that's exactly what it felt like. They led wi- almost wire to wire, like, through... I would be really curious to see the amount of time they actually trailed during that winning streak, because it felt like they were pretty dominant in every game. 
Um, and that's why it was so weird to see. Yeah. These guys, it, it even catches me off guard with like how high they got off the Duke game. And it, maybe that's the one concern is like, come on, y'all, y'all have, they've repeatedly said, um, in post-game interviews is like, we haven't accomplished anything yet. That's been a common retort where it's been like, Oh, what do y'all think about the winning streak? What do you think about first place in the ACC is like, we haven't accomplished anything yet. What do you think about RJ? We haven't accomplished anything yet. Um, and I get it has to feel good beating Duke after getting swept by them last year and being clowned. But, you know, that's one game on the schedule celebrated. And, you know, hopefully they hopefully it's it's over and done with and we don't see any more of these confounding losses. You get it out of the system and start peaking this month. Hopefully that was there. That was the way like the Georgia Tech game was a wake up call in the sense of. um, I think preparation and coming coming out ready. And I think this game was a wake-up call of no matter who we beat, we're like we're really good, but we're not good enough to just go through the motions and still beat teams. And I think that's yeah. still the last step between them and Purdue and UConn is that, mm-hmm. you know, I think UConn can come out and go through the motions and probably still beat Clemson. Like because they have yeah. <laughs> I could like go on a five minute rant about how good UConn's roster construction is this year. It's like they have the perfect blend of vets who are super savvy and old and NBA talent. That's, I mean, getting a second year, getting a second year out of Klingon's crazy. And then you have a top five pick in Stefan Castle, who's a freaking bucket and a great defender. Anyway, like I mean, (laughs) it's they're, they're insane. And it's like the same with Purdue because Zach Eadie's so good and they do have two guards where, draw a name out of a hat one of them's gonna go off every night right. like so i mean that's that's the thing man unc they just have to be locked in they have to be ready no more going through the motions like this this eight game stretch to end the year is crucial because i'm gonna say it for the twenty thousandth time this podcast man i want to see that one seed you know that there's one way to redeem the most disappointing season in the history of college basketball last year. That's to come back and get in the tournament as a one seed and make a deep run. That's what I want to see. I think they're going to get locked in to do that. I don't think Mondo is going to let, going to let the the boat sink. I'm still really confident about the guys and yeah, it last night sucked, but we move man. Short-term memory. Yeah. I would take a two seed too, for the record. Just play those first, play that first round in Charlotte. That's all I care about. I want to go to those games. Wouldn't mind a two seed either. <laughs> yeah. Wouldn't mind a two seed either. Um, all right, let's close it with four corners, and this will I'll tie it into a little preview for Miami as well. Uh, we'll each select two, sort of like we did last last time. What factors do you think will contribute to it? what? To, what are the top four factors to get a win in Coral Gables? Well, um, for starters. I think I think Seth Trimble's health matters a lot in this game because you are playing a Laranega team that is basically constructed. Obviously, they're not as talented necessarily as they were last year, but you know, they are constructed similarly in the sense that they play four guards in Norchad. So yeah. Matthew Cleveland's a bigger guard, but you know, when you've got George and Poplar and Pack. I think Trimble's health is going to be super big for this because he is your best perimeter defender. He is your best guard defender. And on top of that, they did just get absolutely embarrassed and scored 38 points against Virginia. So they're going to be teed up. (laughs) 
I'm with you. I think they'll definitely need uh I mean it would be great to have Trimble to guard pack for stretches of the game. It'd be great to have him guard Poplar as well. Um oh man, I'm like debating on which one I want to go. I'll say it we we need a cadeau game. We need um probably a double a double digit game, a double digit scoring game from Cadeau would be great where you know I I expect the staff to get a little bit more creative with ways to get him downhill. Um, you know, they, they've been running a lot of high ball screens for him. Teams are sagging off. It's a little bit harder for get him to get to the basket. At the same time, like, I want to say it was the first or second pos- possession against Clemson where he got Jack Clark switched on him. Looked like he could have drawn contact, didn't get the whistle. Um, like, he's still able to work out of ball screens and get downhill. But I'd like to see a little more off-ball action where, you know, maybe you use him as a screener, you get him coming off of a flare screen or a little zoom action or something. Um, And even with that being said, like, uh, I just think they they – Got to keep looking for ways to keep his confidence up and to to maximize him getting into the paint. Um, if teams start to snuff out, yeah, the high ball screen, yeah, that's type schemes. You mentioned zoom action, and it kind of reminded me. I wanted to say this, like, that's one thing I would like to see more out out of the offense. Is why are we not running more pistol with Cadeau? Because if if you run pistol with Cadeau, people can't stay in front of him when he's dribbling. What's going right. to happen when he receives a DHO out of a pistol and he's just mm-hmm. darting downhill? I'd yeah. like to see a little bit more of it. And obviously you don't want to become one-dimensional, but you throw a couple pistols with Cadeau and then next thing you know it's a pistol keep and they're hard biting on him taking it and he's to the basket. So, I mean, I don't know. I'd like yeah. to see a little more of that. Yeah, I don't have like any synergy numbers to back it up, but anecdotally speaking, it seems like they run a lot of that for – both Cormac and RJ um, yes. to get him going downhill, but I'd love to see it for Ingram too. I, I think if we can get Ingram going downhill more, that'd be great. Um, let him make a little, let him make some more plays, run, run some ball screens for Ingram and run some dribble handoffs more for Cadeau. Um, Cause that's the thing that we, that we fell off of. I haven't seen it as much in the last two games. And that's probably because Mark Mitchell and Ian Shefflin are tougher matchups to switch out of for Ingram. But we haven't seen him get those switches onto guards and really back people down and bully him yeah. in the post. And that's something yeah. I want to see more of. Um, my complaint is the same complaint I had after the Duke game. Hit some free throws. <laughs> you guys still are missing free throws. 19 of 25, 76%. So now you've officially been 58%, 72%, and 76%. Like, we're still missing way too many free throws, man. Like, it's... 76% is not kill us. <laughs> it isn't abysmal, but first off, RJ missed two. Why? Why yeah. is he like shooting bad from the stripe all of a sudden? I don't know if it's contagious. Cadeau's become an excellent free throw shooter. Armando shot them excellent last night, but I just, man, can we please, like if we're going to take 25 attempts, can we go like 22 of 25? Give me like mid to high 80s at least a couple times. I'm with you. I'm with you. Um, the last one I'll I'll say uh, I need to see some good Jalen Withers minutes. Yeah. It's been a minute since we, we've we we celebrated Jalen Withers week a few weeks ago. Since then, um, I mean he gets to the line, he makes his free throws. Shout out Jalen yeah. for that. But um, this is the kind of game where you're going to need him to get in the way of Matthew Cleveland and Keyshawn George. Um, be disruptive with his length. Be disruptive with his athleticism. 
cut along the baseline. Like, I feel like we haven't gotten a good Jalen Withers cut for a dunk in a couple of games, and we need that. Um, but yeah, really defensively, you don't have to lock up Cleveland or Keyshawn, just get in the way and be physical and be annoying. Like, I agree, man. His presence has been missed for sure. Um, we need it back. We need we need the Withers week Jalen back for sure. I think he's still in there. I you know there was also some some speculation that maybe he had kind of gotten in trouble because of the practice stuff because <laughs> he only played five minutes. But mm-hmm. I don't think it has anything to do with that. I think you know Hubert was just trying some different stuff out, and Withers hasn't been great in the last couple games. So we're rooting yeah, for you, man. We want another Withers week. It's so weird that, I mean, his last four games, five minutes, 10 minutes, seven minutes, 10 minutes, and that was coming off of five, 5.7 boards in 17 minutes against Wake, uh, nine points, three boards, and an assist in 14 minutes against BC, 15 points, 10 rebounds uh, against Louisville in 24 minutes. It's it's weird to see it just go down so starkly. Like, yeah. it, it seemed like he was finally getting comfortable and was doing really well in his role. Um, but yeah, I think... Again, without Trimble, it's a, it's five. <laughs> you kind of got an iron five situation again. Um, you really need Withers to reemerge in that role to give to give UNC seven guys who they can lean on. So, I agree, man. I okay. agree, man. Well, that'll Shout do it for the ep- nursery background yeah. as well, man. Oh yeah, I did. On YouTube. To anybody who's curious, I'm in my son's room. Um, he still sleeps in a bassinet, but I got a little crib behind me for whenever he transitions here. And you got the animal prints, nice little uh, some some ivy or jungle type prints, whatever you wanted <laughs> across the top. But yeah, usually I'm in the guest room, but I have my mom in town, so she's in the guest room. My son's sleeping in the bassinet, which in my room, which means we're coming alive from the nursery. So. But that'll do it for this episode of The Pot is the Roof. We will probably be back this weekend breaking down Miami, looking ahead to Syracuse. Um, I, I kind of want to make a joke about Syracuse getting a scare at home from Louisville, but I also don't want to run my mouth too much before UNC goes to the Carrier Dome. So I'm just going to sign us off. I'm Riley Davis. That's Jacob Karabatsis. And make sure you subscribe to the YouTube channel. Make sure you follow us on Twitter. Make sure you follow The Pod is the Roof on Twitter. The account is quickly growing. It's great to see. We might have a special giveaway coming once we hit 500 followers, so get on it.